This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to another episode of Keeping Carlson Short Shifts, your twice-weekly catch-up show for fantasy hockey news and analysis. My name is Ben Burnett, and I am joined by my co-host and yours, Louis Ezekiel. Louis, do we think Peter Mrazek will ever recover from having his soul punched out of his body by Joe Thornton in tonight's game? I mean, he came back and was great in the shootout, so I hope that uh, maybe maybe lack of a soul is really what he needs to be successful. You know, and uh, they always say when you hit that dagger three that you have no conscience in basketball. Maybe that's what we'll get from Mrazek from this point on. I love to hear it because Mrazek has been terrible, and I own him in a couple spots where I'm just kind of like I've been good enough to not need to drop him. I think we have him in our uh, in our podcast league, we and uh, I'd love to see him turn it around to make it worth all of the waiting that we've done so far. Yeah, I had my eye on Reimer because Mrazek was performing so poorly, um, but I ended up going with uh, someone that we're going to talk about quite soon instead. And with Mrazek's performance today, I'm pretty glad I had that choice. Awesome. Folks, as I mentioned, Lewis and I come to you twice every single week on Tuesday and Thursday evening, Wednesday or Friday mornings, if that's how you choose to listen on your morning commute, bringing you uh, about a 30-minute episode of fantasy hockey content. On Saturdays, you can join us on the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group by signing up to become a patron of Keeping Carlson at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. If you join us, we have been doing these weekly Saturday morning streams over a a bowl of cereal or a a mug of coffee. It's been myself hosting each week, but this week we have a very special surprise. Host of the stream scheme, Dave Benton, and friend of mine and Lewis's Jade Bettine will be doing a cousin cast. I am so excited to listen. Lewis, how about you? Yeah, it's going to be really excellent. You've got two big personalities there uh, who are always very entertaining. You guys sound like you've been having a blast on those Saturday morning streams, just kind of uh, very laid back, taking questions as they come, and it's seems like the patrons are enjoying them too so uh really looking forward to listening on saturday yeah i will admit that that is the highlight of my week so far is doing those saturday morning streams it's super fun and all you need to do to join is to become a patron of keeping carlson folks we're going to start off with some headlines and we have to start with the goalie controversy brewing in pittsburgh on wednesday night tristan jari posted a 28 save shutout against the blues the same team that had lit up matt murray for five goals on 27 shots last Last week, is there any reason to think that Matt Murray's job could be in danger in Pittsburgh? The, it's a two-part answer here. Uh, Murray is certainly in trouble right now in the short term. I think it's safe to call him Pittsburgh's 1B goalie at this time. This is a pattern that we've seen before, but it does seem a little maybe more grim than usual this year. Murray's posted a quality start rate of just 45% so far this season, despite 
Pittsburgh playing high quality defense in front of both him and Jari, even with their injury woes. Jari has been the only one who has been really taking advantage of this. He has only failed to make a quality start once so far this season. Jari is overperforming slightly. His expected save percentage is around a 935, uh, and he's got a 958 at 5v5 right now, according to Corsica Hockey. Murray is underperforming significantly with an even strength of uh, save percentage of 0.896 when he's expected to be around 0.922. So that's a major problem. And what really stood out to me when I was looking at his numbers is that Murray is actually performing extremely well on the penalty kill. Uh, with a 0.921 save percentage, where he's expected to be around 0.863. I think we are much more likely to see negative regression on the penalty kill as opposed to positive regression at 5-on-5. It's wild to think that he's performing so much better on the penalty kill than he is at even strength. Uh, Jerry is underperforming a little bit on the penalty kill, Uh, which is drawing his all-situation save percentage, 0.935, pretty close to his expected save percentage, 0.923. And Murray has had a similar phenomenon. He's not too far off his expected, but it's being driven by a too-high penalty kill save percent, which is dragging up his too-low even-strength save percentage. This seems like an unsustainable situation. Yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely can. You can see Murray struggling if you watch the Penguins. And we saw this last year, right? Where Murray was struggling at pretty much 12 months ago. I think you could chalk it up. You couldn't trade Matt Murray in a league. Nobody wanted him. Uh, at that point, I believe it was Casey DeSmith who had taken the reins. So I'm definitely not discounting the fact that he's been struggling for so long and Jari continues to be really good. Uh, where do you fall? Are, are you selling Murray if you can? Are you are you all in on Jari at this point? You know, I think any Murray owner over the past few years has seen this cycle kind of emerge. There's always this lull period, and sometimes it lasts a couple weeks. Sometimes it's a month or a month and a half. But uh, Murray does tend to bounce back, so I would hold him uh, if you can. But yeah, it's kind of grim right now. I don't think anybody wants a piece of him. And if Jari is already off the waiver wire, you might be hard up to find other solutions. You know, there's a lot to be said about Murray and the two cups that he's helped the Penguins win in his young career. Both he and Jari are restricted free agents at the end of the season. And it's likely that one of them is on another team by next September, if not sooner. If I were going to bet, I would say it's Murray who stays. Unless Pittsburgh wants to spend more than $8 million a season to hold both of them, which really doesn't fall in line with the winning formula they've had in the past. Uh, as for Jari right now, I think he's a great ad, at least for the next two to four weeks. Um, as you know, you have Murray sort of wandering the desert trying to find his game. Uh, and I would bet that he's starting somewhere between, you know, worst case scenario is going to be 50-50 and best case for Jari is like a 70-30 split over the next few weeks. Um, but how long he holds on to that 1A spot really depends on Murray's performance. Once he regains his mojo, like we saw last year, he'll take on the majority of the starts again. Uh, for what it's worth, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I added Jari in the cupful. Uh, while I was also looking at Allmark and Reimer as options. So I'm going to ride Jari for a little while and see where he takes me. I'm with you. I would want Jari, if he's on the waiver wire anywhere else at this point, you're starting to get into the point, I think, where he's getting snapped up in a lot of deeper leagues. So definitely take a look, see if you can grit, if you can still get him. But if not, uh, my guess would be that you won't. It, it's not going to be a season-long issue for Matt Murray owners, just based on what we've seen in the past. But 
you never know, honestly. With goaltenders, everything is voodoo, and all goaltenders prove to be bad eventually. In other news, Mitch Marner back, baby. Mitch Marner rejoined the now Mike Babcock-less Toronto Maple Leafs last night in a, I believe, 3-1 loss. I watched the game, though I forget if the Avs added another empty netter. Um a bit of a lackluster return. I have to say no points. He did have one shot. His skating looked a little disjointed and he messed up a chance in close where honestly, I thought that he would usually score. Uh, Leafs ran a Marner Tavares pairing with Ilya Mishayev. Any interest in Mishayev while he's up on that line? So this is a guy who is ranked close to the top 150 in Kakupful scoring. I think he should not be on the waiver wires uh, in the Kakupful. And in fact, it does seem like uh, Keeping Carlson patrons are a little more into this guy than the Yahoo world in general. He's only 12% owned in Yahoo and up at 78% in the Kakupful, including skating on the team of the one and only Brian Com. Uh, so that's a pretty strong endorsement uh, for his ability. You know, I think those those as long as those wingers are moving up and down alongside Tavares and Matthews, I think anybody who's in those spots is appealing, especially if they're getting any amount of power play time. Yeah, unfortunately for Mikheyev, that is not the case. But maybe we'll start to see that as the season moves along. I'm not really sure. But it's very nice to get Mitch Marner back in the interim. Something I thought was interesting was Keith ran a Nylander Matthews Marner line out there for a few shifts towards the end of a couple of periods. I'd be curious to see if we'll get any more of that moving forward. I do think John Tavares has proven in Long Island that he is more than capable of carrying his own line. So I I wouldn't be necessarily opposed. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that big three of the Leafs young players get a chance together. Yeah, I think that could be very exciting for Leafs fans and for the fantasy hockey world in general. Finally, we're going to talk about Boston because you're not allowed legally to talk about the Leafs without then following it up by talking about the the Boston Bruins. Sorry, Leafs Nation, that they just own you at this point. Thursday night marked the sixth straight game missed for Patrice Bergeron. I remember seeing a tweet about this from Chris Wassel when they announced that Bergeron was going to miss the Thanksgiving week road trip. And the thought was, at that point, load management on a short week. But I'm getting a little gun shy about a 34-year-old who absolutely cannot get healthy this year. What can we do with Patrice while we wait to find out what's going on? And I mean, obviously, we are we have to be waiting, right? It's it's way too early to cut bait on a guy who's been a point-per-game guy for the last few years. Patrice Bergeron is for sure undroppable. That top line and top power play in Boston is so potent and so effective. Uh, you see people tripping all over themselves to grab whoever is filling in for Patrice to hope that they can capture some of that magic that he always has when he's in there. So, yes, you've got to hold on. Find space in your injured reserve. If you don't have injured reserve, I think you got to limp along with him, waiting for him to recover. Or find somebody that you can get rid of uh, before him because you simply can't get rid of this guy. Lewis, if I offered you a bet between Patrice Bergeron and Evgeny Malkin, who was more likely to miss the most games heading into a fresh new season, who would you have bet on? Uh, I suppose if given the choice, I will simply, you know, it looks like a coin flip to me. I'll put my money on the older player and I would take Bergeron. Maybe I am simply getting some recency bias since Bergeron is out and Malkin is taking the entire Penguins team on his back right now in Crosby's absence. Uh, so he's got kind of the opposite thing going on for him right now. Um, but I suppose I would have put it on Bergeron. I think I, I think I agree. And I actually think that that's where the safer money is. He's missed 17 and 18 games in back-to-back years heading into this one. And now he's already missed eight into this short season. 
I think that he needs to be up in that that rank of players who we just expect they're going to miss a, a dozen or two, a dozen or twenty games, and that's just what it is. Yeah, he's in the uh, Chris Letang club of of players you just hang on to despite their their injury woes. So as long as we're talking about players on injured reserve, uh, we can make our transition over into the patron five on our Thursday shows uh, on the patron. It's only Facebook group for keeping Carlson. Uh, we ask the patrons what players they want to hear about and who has some interesting fantasy opportunities or new deployment or unsustainable rates. Uh, so we check them out and deep dive each of these players. If you would like to participate and get to hear your nominations uh, for the patron five on the Friday morning pod, simply head over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron and join right up. So we wanted to hear from Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is on injured reserve right now with a hand injury. Uh, Not the kind that you really want to have. That is the type of injury that can sometimes linger or be re-aggravated pretty easily. Um, But even before he went out with injury, he's been running into some trouble after a very nice 69-point season last year. Hopkins has dropped from a 0.84 point-per-game pace to a 0.64 point-per-game pace, uh, which would be 52 points over a full 82-game season. Really, his RNH's true value to Edmonton has been centering up line two, thus freeing Mc, uh, <laughs> I almost called him McDry, thus uh, freeing Drysaddle up to play with McDavid. And the worrisome thing I think about RNH is that this reduced scoring rate is coming despite his career best all strengths on ice shooting percentage. So. Uh, 12.86% of shots are going in while he's on the ice, and he's getting his highest ever offensive zone starts at 76%. Uh, It won't be surprising then, based on his point totals, to learn that his individual point percentage is a career low. He's only getting on 44% of the goals that are scored when he's on the ice, or that his personal shooting percentage is his lowest since his sophomore season at 8.33. So while I expect these numbers to rebound, I think he's much more likely to pace at 60 points the rest of the way than he is to approach his near 70 point pace from a year ago, especially if there are any lingering effects from that hand injury. So RNH pacing right now for 52. Are you buying him if you have the opportunity? Uh, You know, I'm not so sure that I'm interested. I feel like he's getting kind of relegated back to that position. He is getting some nice power play time when he's out there. Um, but it does seem like he's sort of back in that spot where basically his purpose is to to reinforce that second line behind Dreisaitl and McDavid. You know, the wings in Edmonton are nothing that exciting, so it's not really like he has a ton of support to work with. If you are interested in gathering up power play points, he may be able to do that for you. I don't know. I'm not sure who I would want to offer to try and pick up RNH this year. Yeah, and at the moment, nine power play points means that he's on pace for 30 on the season, which would be a career high. So I'm not even sure that he's, you know, underperforming or doing anything that would make me particularly interested in him right now. Uh, I am similarly disinterested in RNH at the moment. Who do you got for us next in the patron five here, Ben? Number four in the patron five list. We have Samuel Reinhardt, a player that I am watching out of the corner of my eye right now. He is on the power play with Buffalo. So despite playing almost 100% of his even strength and power play minutes with Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhardt has struggled to score, posting a 58-point pace through 28 games, despite his linemate Jack Eichel's monster 107-point pace start to the season. I'd expect Reinhardt to shoot closer to 13%, his three-year average, as opposed to the 18% that we've seen him shoot at so far this year, which would actually be a detriment to his numbers. So I'm not sure that we're 
due for a huge bounce back with Sam Reinhart. His current assist pace, though, is about 11 fewer than last year. So I looked into why, and it looks that though his IPP is a little low, his on-ice shooting percentage is actually a little high. And he's also at scoring his on-ice expected goals for by about a goal every hour. So I'm not sure that his numbers are unsustainably low. I think they may be sustainably so. The other issue with Reinhardt is the power play really does not flow through him that much. It's been the Jack and Olafson show to start the year. And while I think someone like Jeff Skinner should see some regression on the power play because of his usage and the fact that he's a bit more of a shooter on that unit, I'm not sure Reinhardt gets enough touches or shots to factor in as a primary power play point contributor. I think he's firmly in that like 15 to 18 power play points per year tier, as opposed to those elite players who can ritually post 25 or 30 points on the man advantage. So I think it's possible last year's 65 point pace was the anomaly and this year's high 50 or 60 point pace is a more likely outcome. Yeah. A lot of similarities. It sounds like between our, our number five and number four players on the patron five here. That's right. Although you would 60 ish guys who, who maybe have seen their peak season last year. And I'm less certain that we've seen a peak from Reinhardt. Given the fact that he plays with Eichel, you could see him going on an unsustainable heater for a little for, you know, 20 or 30 games and putting up a point per game pace. I mean, we saw it at the start of last year, right? He was they started out ridiculous in uh, Buffalo. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think overall, true talent wise, we're looking at more of a a 60 point player uh, this year moving forward. And he's certainly got a lot more rolls of the dice in terms of years to go uh, where he can Mm -hmm. have that opportunity to sort of hit that heater. So, Lewis, that's where I'm at with Sam Reinhardt. Why don't you tell folks about our number three player tonight? So our number three player also features on that Buffalo power play. Uh, It's been four games since Eric Chernak injured Rasmus Dahlin. And while the first three games saw a more conventional power play set up with Rasmus, the elder Ristolainen, taking the majority of the power play time with Colin Miller on power play two, uh, the recent pair of games, including that 7-1 drubbing of New Jersey that was so savage they had to fire John Hines just to save face, (laughs) we saw Henri Jokiharju take over power play one responsibility. Uh, and he rewarded the team with a power play goal against New Jersey, his first point in 10 games. It's a little like my high school lacrosse career. I remember I scored a couple goals, but it was in a game where we won by so many that I think they stopped keeping score. So I didn't get a whole lot of credit for it. That's sort of how, sort of how I feel like uh, with Yuki Harju here. He is a promising player that Dabra Prospects rates as an 8.0, which they say uh, for defensemen is an eventual 55-point defenseman in the NHL. Um, But for this season, at just 16 minutes a game, even in his recent uh, Power Play 1 deployment, he's on pace for only 23 points. And that's with an 8.3 shooting percentage uh, and under a shot and a half a game. That percentage I see as being more likely to fall than to climb. You know, he's had some success in this very small sample size helming Power Play 1. Uh, But overall, I don't see him as an especially interesting option. Maybe if we start to see those minutes climb up into the 18 to 19 range at a bare minimum. But I don't usually see room for defensemen getting only 16 minutes on my roster. How about yourself, Ben? 
No, at 16, like anything under 18 minutes, I think is too low for a defenseman. It's like the equivalent of a 12 and a half minute per game forward. Mm-hmm. I actually don't, I'm not even sure I really remember Yoki Haru being successful helming that power play in Chicago. Um, I was very into him last year to start the year just because the opportunity seemed so great. And then there was nothing there until Gustafson got up in that spot. And uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, he may turn into that player. But for now, I'm definitely waiting until we see signs of life from him. I would expect Rasmus Dahlin to come back as well before long. And I can't imagine that he doesn't immediately ascend to that top unit. Yeah, I'm of the same mind. So, Lewis, Henry Yokiharu, probably a waiver wire, leaving him on the waiver wire, if not maybe a speculative ad as long as Darlene is out and he's still getting power play one time as he was as recently as Thursday night's game. Yeah, I think so. This is kind of a break glass in case of emergency only. I think there are a lot of better options that are out there. Uh, and he's obviously a significant downgrade from what they've got with Darlene, uh, who will plug back into that spot as soon as he can. There is no question about that. I'm going to get going with the patron five number two player for this week. And that is, the one, the only, the benched, Alex Radulov. The main thing that's going on with Alex Radulov is he's not playing tonight because the Stars as a whole have been struggling and they decided the best way to get out of that rut is to bench one of their three best forwards. Shockingly, it happens to be the Russian one. Who would have thought in the NHL, eh? Uh, Stars have now lost four straight after kicking off November with a 10-0-1 stretch that climbed them out of the basement after a similar slow start to the season. Radulov, for his part, has also been pointless during that four-game slump. He has 15 points through 29 games for a 42-point pace. Part of that is regression. His underlying numbers should improve, for sure. So in particular, his 5-on-5 on-ice shooting percentage and his IPP are flagging. Those numbers both tend to regress over time. A bigger issue for me is that Dallas really hasn't been stacking their top unit or overusing their top players. It's really been a by-committee approach relative to what we were used to seeing last year when they clearly had three top forwards. Now that they've you know, added Pavelski, Rupe Hintz has really stepped up. We're seeing a lot more of a committee approach. So that's something that kind of freaks me out with Radulov. He's lost nearly a quarter of his power play time on ice from last year and two and a half minutes of ice time per game overall. It's tough to put up 70 points when you're not getting clear top-line deployment. So my guess, rest of season, we see some regression to the mean. Radulov doesn't stay in the press box for too long. I think we see a 60- to 65-point player rest of the season. He's not droppable in deep leagues. If he winds up on my cupful wire tomorrow, I'm probably dropping my entire fab on him. But right now, I'm adjusting my expectations until we see more of an effort to give him better deployment. Does that sound right to you, Lewis? Yeah, it's really been kind of interesting looking at some of these Dallas players. It almost seems like the offseason was subtraction by addition in a way. Obviously, they had that really nice run, but they're just so streaky right now. It seems that there are times when they can't quite get out of their own way on offense. Uh, And players like uh, Pavelski, Klingberg, Radulov have sort of been suffering for it, although Klingberg's finally been on a bit of a run. On that note, Miro Haskinen on the top power play unit with the overloaded, uh, with the Benz Sagans of the world, and he posted a primary assist on a Jamie Benn power play goal. So maybe we're starting to see that shift. I know Klingberg came back hot, but now he's one one goal and zero assists in his last five. So maybe we're seeing the ascension of 
Miro Heiskanen. Uh, Klingberg hasn't been over 50% power play since his third game back. So it's four games in a row now after tonight that he has not been on that top unit. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder if that will sort of change back. But, you know, Heiskanen, I think we worried that he might sort of become the Provorov, but we've seen Provorov kind of take some steps towards getting a chance to stretch his offensive muscle a little bit more. Uh, maybe we're seeing the same thing happen here with Heiskanen. I'm not going to complain. I am up against Klingberg and Pavelski, who I dropped last week and was picked up by my this week's opponent. Uh, So if they can continue their cold streak for a few more days, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, I think honestly, Heiskanen is a player who has much more offensive upside to me. I just think he's a better distributor. So I like him a lot more on the point on the power play. Provorov a bit more wood on the shot. But yeah, I think that he fits the profile as the defensive defenseman, whereas Haskinen, he's just such a good skater that he can be both sides of the puck very easily. All right, so we're on to our last but not least member of the Patron 5. The patrons want to hear about Alex Tuck. Tuck put up only two points in his first 10 games after returning from injury to make a late start to the season on Halloween. However, he's been absolutely tearing it up since with seven points and 14 shots in the last four games. While he's on line three with Carrier and Glass at even strength, he's enjoying time on that power play 1A with Marcheseau, Carlson, Patches, and Theodore, where he scored three of those seven points. He's shooting 16%, which is a little high and may come down a bit, and I'm pretty sure his 80% IPP is probably unsustainable as well and will regress a bit. Uh, But that being said, his on-ice shooting percentage is normal, and he's getting great deployment. Nearly 80% of his zone starts are in the offensive end. So he may come down back to earth, and certainly his slow start coming off injury shows how far above his floor he's playing right now, especially only getting you know between 13 and 17 minutes a night. But there is no hotter player available at 18% in Yahoo, and as of Sunday, 56% ownership in the cupful, although I imagine that number has changed somewhat. Uh, as he's been red hot the last few games. Uh, So this is someone to pick up and certainly watch for him starting to cool off. You know, he's a player that certainly can go for long streaks without scoring, but he is absolutely wielding the hot stick right now, and you should be all over him and ride this for as long as it lasts. I'm with you there. I would be adding Tuck in deeper leagues if he was still on the wire. I do think that 60-65 is the absolute ceiling, so I'm not going crazy over Alex Tuck. But we've we've seen a lot of sit-starts and a lot of ad-drops on the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group, and Alex Tuck has been the answer to a lot of them for me. Just while he's been this hot, I don't see why you wouldn't ride him. I put him up with a Sam Reinhardt if I'm trying to pick a sit start between the two. It would be tough for me to go Reinhardt over Tuck. I mean, we did see a goal for each tonight, but... That's sort of where we're at with Tuck. He's just been that hot that it's. I'd pick him over those lower-performing guys on my roster if I was forced to choose for a single game. Of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter if you do have a sit-start or ad-drop question. Yeah, absolutely. We love to, to take those questions at AVG Time on Ice. Uh, some other useful Twitter resources for you at Keeping Carlson and at Game Day Lines has been really useful. If you don't want to just scroll through the at Game Day Lines feed, why don't you head over to GameDayLinesTweets.com and Elon has it all laid out really nicely for you team by team. So you can click and see the most recent update as to those lines from the beat writers who are seeing them up close and personal. 
Ben, we're through the Patriot Five. I think we've hit the end of the show. A lot of fun, buddy. We absolutely have. I had an amazing time. For myself, Ben Burnett, I am signing out of here. I hope you'll join us on the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group for Saturday morning stream show with Jade and Dave. It's going to be a great time. I know I'm going to be tuned in, and I cannot wait. Thank you so much, Lewis. Why don't you sign us out of here? Yeah, my pleasure. We want to give our acknowledgments to Natural Stat Trick, Left Wing Lock, at Game Day Lines, Corsica Hockey, the Hockey Writers, and Sean Tierney at Charting Hockey on Twitter for helping us with our research today. And until we see you next time, play smart and keep your shifts short.